Hey, I'm Tracy Burns. I'm a financial advisor with UBS. Welcome to five things. You're going to learn five things here, and then you're going to move on because we all have stuff to do. I am on a mission to help women through divorce, through transition, and help empower them. I have a super soft spot for female entrepreneurs and founders and small businesses. And of course, closing the wage gap. I have three teenagers, two are girls. So I have a personal interest in that. This podcast is a small piece of helping us all get there. First, I have to say, you got to listen to some of the past podcasts we've done. I think the information has been so great. Five things your business should be looking at right now. The five people you should be surrounding yourself. When to admit failure. Of course, we recently did one on why cash is queen all the time. Today, though, I'm so excited to talk about this whole notion of work-life balance because I'm going to put it out there and say it sucks. It's really hard. And our next guest, she is omnipresent. She's everywhere. Rebecca Minkoff, global fashion designer, founded her company, what was it, 2001, uh, really started when the actress Jenna Elfman wore I Love New York t-shirt on Jay Leno. It was right after 9-11. Her bags, of course, everywhere. But if you don't stalk her like I do, (laughs) you probably don't realize that she is a consummate activist, one of the loudest voices in support of female-founded businesses. She is so honest. I mean, when I sit with her, we we talk about the kids first and foremost, right, and how much they're stressing us out. And she has been very vocal, very verbal about this notion of work-life balance. Um, Rebecca, before I toss to you, I am going to say that if you did not get to see her recent fashion show, you have to go on YouTube and watch it. Your interview with Zana Rossi from E! was amazing. The collection is beautiful. Um, You should be super excited that in the midst of this mess, you are still hitting it out of the park. Well, thank you for having me. I am just a fan of you as you are of me. And uh, you've been incredibly supportive of women and myself and the Female Founder Collective. So I'm excited to be here. Well, thank you. And I know you're super busy juggling, juggling it all like we all are, right? And and one of the things, again, I've seen you written a bunch of times. She writes on LinkedIn. She's all over the place. This notion of doing it now from home, because now you're here, now everyone's around you all the time. And um, the one thing that you said, and this is so poignant, is, and people need to realize this, is that you know, the news comes out there and says, oh, women are going back to their old ways and women are, you know, we're, we're taking away all the progress we made. And you're, you're like, you're calling that out and saying that's a bunch of BS. I think it's a bunch of BS. Not that it's not happening. And, and I want to be clear that, you know, anyone who's a single mom or lost a partner or, you know, lives in anything other than, you know, having someone, another, another adult with you at all times, mm-hmm. don't, don't take what I'm saying to heart because that is the hardest job. Um, I'm tired of this victim mentality that women are adopting of this like new term, emotional labor. Um, I think we need to have, sit down and have an honest conversation. You decided to be with this person. You decided to have kids with them. They might've seen a baby come out of you. Sit down and have a conversation with them of like, this isn't fair. This isn't right. We need to divide our duties. And if you can't do that, something's far more wrong in your marriage or partnership than, than what's going on with not equal duties. And I think you read a book, Ebrodsky, fair play. She makes it easy with flashcards and you sort of tally up who does more, but like, yes, your husband can do the laundry. They can wipe the kid's butt. They can, you know, make dinner. They can make school lunches. And I think right now, especially with so many people at home, um, that needs to be talked about more often instead of being a victim, we're working this out. 
Right. As opposed to letting it go. And, and I, as a single mother know exactly what you're saying though, because sometimes you just want to scream at all of them, including the kids. I think some days we baby our children too. They need to take a little responsibility of their own in this whole mess. They totally do. I think it's okay to say, Hey, you know, you're home more now often you're going to have some jobs. You know, my kids complain and it's harder to get them to do the work. Let me tell you, I, you know, it's a lot faster for me to do everything for them, but I have to you know, go, okay, in order for them to be a fully functioning human, I have to make them do the recycling or I have to have them help with lunch, whatever it is, you know, we have to, we have to force them to contribute to the family as well until, until they see that it's valuable. And it's, what's interesting too, is that families across the country world, quite frankly, are dealing with this. And yet you made the point that corporate America is just like late to the game here and not getting it. I haven't seen one corporation announce how they are supporting their employees uh, with different hours, different work structures. Like, you know, the only reason um, in, you know, from March to June when we were homeschooling our kids, we could get it done is I blocked out two hours and my husband did. But I don't see a corporation saying, hey, you know, we're fine if you're not online for three hours of the day because we know you're doing Zoom school. Like everyone's trying to juggle it at the same time and it's impossible. How are you managing it then with your employees? So we don't have a ton of moms right now. Um, and for the ones that are, like one of our, you know, most dedicated employees got COVID and she was out for two weeks, you know? Yeah. Um, then her health was pretty bad, you know, coming out of it. So it was sort of like, do your best today. We get it. Um, and for the ones that have moms, it's sort of like, you know, do the hours that you can do. And when you can't, we also get it, you know, you're, you're, everyone's dealing with a lot of stuff right now that we've never been prepared to deal with. So if you had to say like one thing, you know, during this whole thing shocked you the most with the whole work from home thing, what would it be? And how did you guys get through it? I think that I carried a lot of guilt as a working mom you know, whether it was my travel schedule or my evening activities. And I, and I felt like I was a pretty present mother. So my guilt was somewhat sometimes not necessarily sane or or well-founded. But then when I was home with them 24 seven and momming and homeschooling and cooking all the meals, all that, I was like, I give props to those stay at home moms, man, because I definitely do not, I am not the best version of myself as a full-time mother, I'll say that. Right. And just so everyone knows, you have three kids under seven. Is that right? Uh, I have nine, six, and two. Nine, six, and two now. Okay. So, I mean, that in and of itself is <laughs> crazy town. Um, but I get that because I, I even feel like sometimes I'm not good to anyone. I haven't been good at work. I ha- I'm certainly not good at home because I'm yelling at everyone. And I think we do this to ourselves. We we just put it on ourselves that it's our fault all the time. For sure. I mean, it's, I think you have to look at like, it's not our fault. It's our responsibility or how did we create this? I mean, I laughed when my dad said this to me, but he was like, it's not COVID. It's not what COVID is doing to you. It's what it's doing for you. And I have to start looking at things that way or encouraging others to look that way. Because when I start to look at it, like, oh, well, it allowed me to finally focus on our direct-to-consumer business, or it allowed us to have a more authentic connection, or I got to you know, see my two-year-old's language develop right in front of my eyes rather than just seeing him at night and putting him to bed. So I think if people can start reframing that, 
you just, you start looking at more positive outcomes and it changes your mood and your approach. And listen, nothing's perfect. I still yell. I still get angry. You know, I still get upset, but I think overall it's less when you're, when you're sort of looking at it through that lens. Yeah. You have to believe the glass is half full and that this happens for a reason and that there's greater things coming from it. I mean, what in your world, other than being home with the kids on, at a, you know, you mentioned the direct to consumer for your business. How has business changed for you for the better? So I think that a couple of things have happened. Um, we were able to take the entirety of sort of our focus and mind share, which was 70% of our business was wholesale. So that was where 70% of our attention went. And when that evaporated overnight and we focused on our own site and our, and what we could do directly with our customer, we saw the results. We saw how to market her, how to talk to her, how to entertain her. Um, and now we know that and we'll never leave that. We'll never, you know, look at the shiny penny that is, you know, a potentially large business and say, Ooh, let's go after that. I think we want to be more conservative with our partners. We want to be more fair. You know, we've, we've pulled out of certain margin agreements with everybody because it just wasn't smart for our business and we don't need them to survive. We want to work with them as mutually beneficial partners. So our, our mindset has shifted a ton on that. So what are some of the state mistakes then that you see these, like, you know, you're with young female founders all the time. What are the mistakes they're making right now, especially in this new environment? I mean, we're home. We are all going to be working from home for an extended period of time. So what are, what's, what's some of your advice to them? So my advice would be, <clears throat> I can't name a single person who I've met, I'd say in the last few years, who isn't trying to raise VC money. And I keep asking them why, because you saw it on the cover of Fast Company and you read it you know, and Inc and, and all these great brands that are doing a really good job of convincing that the only route to succeed and the only route to growth is VC and become a unicorn. And, you know, what happened to like making a product, having product market fit, getting some traction, running a small but profitable business. And when you want to grow and you see a path and you have, you know, proof of concept, then maybe raising some money. We didn't take in money for seven years, not because we had that theory, you know, it wasn't the zeitgeist that that's what you did then, you know? Yeah. So we just didn't do it. So we, we did traditional, you know, forms of financing, whether it was loans or, um, you know, within fashion, there's certain types of, uh, financing that you can get. And it allowed us to sell a much smaller piece of our company, um, and retain the ownership and the control. So I think there, we need to demystify, you know, that there's one form of capital, that you can have many different kinds of camp, you know, capital, whether it be crowdfunding, whether it be loans, whether it be grants, you know, do your do your homework so that you can actually set up a business. And at the end of the day, not everyone's meant to be a unicorn. Have a beautiful, profitable jewel that allows you to live a great life um, without the stress that comes with, you know, other people owning you. It's funny, right? Because it feels like the second someone says they're starting a business, they automatically their, their eyes on like being the next Elon Musk, yeah. I think. Right. And why, I don't know why that is. And you're probably right that it is because of the cover of the magazines purport that that's, that's has to be the end game. And it really doesn't, right. As long as you can pay the bills and do what you love, you're in good shape. Yeah. Like what happened to the mighty, uh, you know, small businesses of America that were just proud to have a family business that did well, that took care of, you know, like what is this, obsession, you know, and we made that mistake as a company. We, we all of a sudden had to be a huge billion dollar brand to compete with the big brands. And 
you know, I don't know that that was the right mindset to have. So what's the future look like for you? Let's see here. Um, we are working remotely as a company, at least until 2021. There is a small skeleton crew that does go in, myself included, because you can't design over Zoom. Right. Uh, I'm writing a book, which will be published next May. Um, I have my own podcast, which is two years old now, which is called Super Women with Rebecca Minkoff. And I don't know. I think we're excited to see, you know, when things get better, what business looks like and how how adapting to this has made us stronger in some ways and more well prepared for for regrowth. I mean, you could argue, and I could argue a lot of things, but you could argue that you were in such a sweet spot as far as your designs go before COVID, right? Because you were, it's not like you were designing, you know, you, you weren't Badgley Mishka who was designing fashion runway dresses. Like you're, you're design, you designed stuff that was usable and practical from the get-go. And so that had to have helped that, you know, the log, through the logical process, you didn't have to change your thought process too much on the fashion, on the design front, did you? No, we, we've just adapted some designs just to be more friendly to what's going on. So we've increased our comfort, you know, knits, let's just say, or, you know, we had a best-selling sweatshirt that we've had now since January and we sort of said, okay, let's add the bottom to it or let's do her in velour. So we've extended the categories that we know our customer wants and is wearing and then sort of tightened up the areas. Like we know she's not necessarily going out or doesn't need those high heel shoes, you know? So I think we're sort of looking at really knowing what she's doing and giving her the wardrobe for that. Yeah. And, and you know, people would say like, that's when you know you have to pivot a little, um, not totally change your your mission and your your motives, but but you have to you have to know what your customer wants at this point. Do you think do you think we'll get back to I'm wearing stilettos to work again? Um, I do. I think that you know my hope is that at some point things go back to I don't want them to go back to how they were because you know there was a hamster wheel at least in New York that it felt like you couldn't get off of, and if you did get off, then everyone would take your business or you would miss out on these opportunities and you just could never take a breath. So I would hope that that doesn't happen. I would hope we can go back to a more conscious form of business. And then I think people will be excited to dress up. Maybe it's not stiletto heels, but I definitely think there is a world where people want to not just be in sweatpants. Yeah. I'm, I'm certainly in that camp. I'm ready to clean up and get the heck out of my upstairs office. The, it, right now it's frightening. I, I should stay up here, but um, when the world is ready, I'm going to shower and get out of here for sure. Totally. You're amazing. You're an inspiration. I thank you so much for taking the time and being, as always, being so incredibly honest about everything, that this is not a shape, you know, a straight line to the moon. This was there was a lot of zigging and zagging along the way and that the world changed on a dime and and you changed with it. And I think that's that's what people need to remember that you can and you should and we will all continue to move forward together. Thank you for having me. presentation is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be relied upon as investment advice or the basis for making any investment decisions. Neither UBS Financial Services, Inc. nor any of its employees provide tax or legal advice. You should consult with your personal tax or legal advisor regarding your personal circumstances. In providing wealth management services to clients, we offer both investment advisory and brokerage services, which are separate and distinct and differ in material ways. 
For information, including the different laws and contracts that govern, visit UBS.com forward slash working with us. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA, SIPC.